The scripture reading and the text for the sermon this afternoon is found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 32, verses 1 to 15. It's exactly the same situation as this morning. Those of you who are here, and maybe the others have heard via live stream, Jeremiah was in prison. Jerusalem was surrounded by the army of Babylon. Jeremiah 32, verse 1 to 15. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of Zedekiah, the king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah the king of Judah had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah the king of Judah shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. And then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there he shall be, until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours, and the redemption is yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money. Seventeen shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, the son of Maseah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Barak before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed which is sealed and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. So far, our scripture reading and also the text for the sermon. Brothers and sisters, beloved congregation of the Lord, many of you were here this morning in church, and those who are not here, I hope that uh, you are perhaps listening in via the live stream Uh, so that I don't have to repeat everything that I said uh, 
about the situation of the time. So I'm not going to ask you to tell me whether you listened or not. I'll just give you the main things again about the situation, but I'll shorten it considerably. So, the situation in our text was as follows. Jeremiah was in, in prison, and Jerusalem itself, and Jerusalem, and Jerusalem itself was besieged by the army of Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar had sent his army to uh, Judah to capture the land. Why? Well, Judah had revolted against Babylon. Um, this morning we saw the influence of the political advisors of, of the king who thought that they should revolt against Babylon and hope that Egypt would come to the rescue. And that never really happened, so it was a not a, a wise policy at all. Now, the Lord was involved in this too, as you will remember. The Lord has sent his prophet Jeremiah and said, the country, the city is going to be taken by Babylon. That is the punishment for the sins of many, many generations who have refused, refused to obey my law and my will. But the Lord had also commanded Jeremiah to tell God's people, you will go into exile, but after that, after 70 years have passed, I will bring you back to this land and I will resettle you here. So there was hope for God's people. Punishment was going to come, but there was hope for the future. Now, as you remember from this morning, and if you know the book, uh, King Zedekiah and his political advisors did not like the message of Jeremiah at all because Jeremiah said, this is going to happen, the city is going to fall, don't trust Egypt, it would be better for you if you could make a deal with the king of Babylon, then maybe he will not destroy, destroy the city and the temple. But he didn't want to listen. And they got so irritated and, and, and angered by Jeremiah's message that Jeremiah was put in prison. Now, this morning we had the story about Jeremiah being thrown into the cistern. Um, this afternoon, we hear another aspect of that time, a remarkable story about a field that Jeremiah was told to buy. And the, the big question is going to be, for Jeremiah, when he was in prison, for him to buy a field in occupied territory in Benjamin, was that smart or was that stupid? Was that a dumb deal or was it a great investment? Now before we, we delve into it, there is one more thing that I need to tell you by way of background. And that is something personal about Jeremiah. I don't know if you are aware of that, but Jeremiah, was a single man. Not by choice, but because of the Lord's command. If you want to know more, you can read it in chapter 16. In chapter 16, it says, The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah. You shall not take a wife, nor shall you have sons or daughters in this place. So Jeremiah was not allowed to marry or have children. Why not? The Lord explained it to Jeremiah 
because in this city, Jerusalem, children shall perish by the sword or by famine or by pestilence. And the Lord wanted Jeremiah's life, his being single, to be a message to his own people. What the Lord wanted to happen was that people would ask Jeremiah, hey, Jeremiah, why don't you get married? You have the age, why why don't you find a wife? Start a family. And that would then be an opportunity for Jeremiah to say, the Lord has commanded me not to marry and not to have children. And you know why? Because the Lord wants us to know that because of the, the sins of the people, this city is going to be destroyed. There is no future for children in this city. Jerusalem is a place where children will perish. Okay? So this is, this is background information for us so that we can understand the story. So picture Jerusalem as a city. The city is being besieged by the Babylonian army. The city is going to fall not long after this. Inside the city, there are people are arguing and what is the best policy. And in the middle of the city, there is this prison. And Jeremiah is in the prison. Imprisoned by his own people. Now, something remarkable happens. One of Jeremiah's relatives comes to see him in his prison cell. It is his cousin, Hanamel. And of course, they know each other, Jeremiah and Hanamel, they are cousins, and they both grew up in the same town, in a town with the name of Anathoth. If you research that, Anathoth is just a few kilometers to the north of Jerusalem. That's where they grew up. That's where the family is from. And cousin Hanamel comes to visit Jeremiah, and he has a request. Jeremiah, dear cousin, could you please buy my field that I have in Anathoth? For the right of inheritance is yours. The redemption is yours. No, that's a unique event. It's a unique request. What do we make of it? Well, obviously, Cousin Hanamel is in need of money. And it doesn't, the text doesn't explain, but we can assume or speculate that Hanamel is in Jerusalem. Maybe he fled from the Babylonians, so he fled to the city of Jerusalem with his wife and his children. He needs to buy food every day. He doesn't have any income. Um, Maybe he has to pay rent. I'm not sure. Anyway, he's run out of money. So Hanamel is thinking, where do I find money? And he's thinking back of the field that he has in Anathoth, and he thinks, if I could sell that field, at least I would have some money in my pocket to keep my family alive. But then he thinks, that field doesn't have any value on the market at the moment. Who might be interested to buy a field at this point in time? The field is an occupied territory. Nobody can use it. It has no market value. And I don't really want to get rid of it for almost nothing. And then Hanamel thinks of his cousin, Jeremiah the prophet. Maybe he thinks Jeremiah doesn't know much about the economy, so 
Like ministers, they don't know much about markets, prices. Uh, I don't know. But anyway, uh, Hanamel thinks, I'm going to talk to uh, my cousin Jeremiah. He's in prison. You never know. Maybe he will give me some good money for my field, and then I have that would solve my problem. Now, Hanamel uses an argument, a clever argument, to convince his cousin Jeremiah to buy the field. He says... The right of inheritance is yours, that's verse 8, and the redemption is yours, buy it for yourself. That needs some explanation. He says the right of inheritance is yours, the redemption is yours. What does that mean? Well, maybe you're familiar with that old law in Israel about the year of Jubilee, And maybe you've heard about the role of the kinsman redeemer. Does that ring a bell? Leviticus 25. So there was a law in Israel which the Lord had given to his people through Moses. The law was that you can sell a piece of land, but you cannot sell it permanently. At some point in time, the piece of land has to come back to the original owner. And that will happen in the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee happened every 50 years. Now, if after, in the year of Jubilee, the original owner was not able to buy the field back, then a a relative, that was the kinsman redeemer, a relative was supposed to help this poor person to buy back the field so that it would come back to the family. Okay, that's, that's a complicated system. It's a kind of a, a lease system, very good system, because it ensured that people would never really uh, lose the opportunity to, to farm or, and, and to make some money. It, a very interesting system, wise system given by the Lord to his people. But to make a long story short, Hanamal, when he visits Jeremiah, is suggesting this. Jeremiah... You're a man of faith. You know what the Lord wants. The Lord wants a piece of land to stay in the family. Now, I really need money, and I need to sell this piece of land, but, you know, I do not want to sell it to a stranger. Why don't you act as kinsman redeemer and buy the field from me? At least the property stays in the family. So, as I said, Hanamel is is clever. I think he's also a little bit sneaky. He knows that the value of this field has gone down considerably. But he's hoping that Jeremiah would still give him a good price. But he's also thinking, you know what? Jeremiah is a single man. He's part of our family. If Jeremiah buys the field and if he were to pass away, the field is going to come back to us anyway. So we can't lose. Jeremiah has no children, so the field would come back to us. And in order to get Jeremiah to do it, Hanamel uses the pious-sounding argument, you are my closest relative, you are my kinsman redeemer. So that's Hanamel's interest, Hanamel's perspective. What does it look like from Jeremiah's perspective? Is this an attractive deal for him? Not at all. First of all, the field is in occupied territory. 
He can't even go there. It has no market value. Even if the war was over, Jeremiah is already in his 60s probably, and he's a prophet. He's not supposed to, to be a farmer. He won't be able to use the field himself. Why would he invest in, in, a, in a farmer's field? And third, in the current situation, it would be much better for Jeremiah to hang on to any cash that he might have because he might need it when the city falls into the hands of the Babylonians. So from Jeremiah's perspective, it doesn't make sense to buy this field. People would think he's crazy when he does it. So Jeremiah, from a human perspective, it would be very understandable if he said, uh, Cousin Hanamel, I'm sorry, I can see your problem, but you know, I need to hang on to my retirement savings. Maybe there is someone else who can help you. But then we read in verse 9, I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was an Anathoth, and I weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Doesn't sound like Jeremiah was uh, arguing about the price or negotiating. It sounds like Hanamel said, well, 17 shekels. And Jeremiah said, okay, 17 shekels. How much was that actually, 17 shekels? Was that a reasonable price? Was it a lot or was it okay? Well, it's a little bit hard to know exactly about the economy at that time. From what I could find out, I would say it was not a lot of money, but it was not a bargain either. One source that I read about it says that 17 shekels was between one and two years wages of an unskilled laborer. So the money someone would, an unskilled laborer would make in between one and two years. So how much would that be in today's terms? Let's just say, for argument's sake, ballpark figure, $100,000. That was about the price in today's terms. So that's not exorbitant for a, if it's a good field, but it's not nothing. It's a nice retirement savings. But Jeremiah doesn't argue about the price. He just forks out the money. But what he does do, he makes a show about the transaction as such. He wants everybody who can possibly be there to come and watch, to be witnesses of the deal. Right? He, where does it say that? Um, I gave, verse 12, I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. So he's, he's very official now. The, those 17 shekels, he makes sure that everybody can see it. Yeah, that's 17 shekels. Everybody must watch, and then they write two, de two uh, deeds, an official one and a copy, and they put it in an earthen vessel, um, and he tells Barak to make sure that it is kept for a long time. 
Now, we come to the important question. Why? Why did Jeremiah buy the field from Hanamel if there were all kinds of reasons for him not to do it? Well, the simple reason is this. The Lord had told him to do it. The Lord had told him ahead of time. Hanamel, your cousin, is going to come to you and he is going to ask you to buy a field from him. And then Hanamel came, so Jeremiah knew that it was the Lord's will. From a business perspective, it might not make sense, but Jeremiah had no choice. He had to be obedient to the Lord's command. But what was then the Lord's reason? Why did this make sense from a faith perspective? And Jeremiah understood it. He explained it to all the witnesses of the transaction. Verse 15, the last verse of our text. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And that is why I'm buying this field. So Jeremiah understood that him buying this field from his cousin was supposed to send a message to God's people. The people of Jerusalem were to hear the remarkable news. Have you heard Jeremiah, who has been prophesying that the city is going to fall? Have you heard he has bought a field from his cousin for 17 shekels of silver? And the reason he gave is that in the future, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be possessed in the land. Now, that's a very powerful message. When the, the, the prophet of doom, the prophet who says, the city is going to fall and you're, we are going to be taken into exile, when he says, but I'm sure that the Lord will bring us back into the land and I'm so sure that I'm willing to pay 17 shekels of silver to buy a field for my cousin. That is a powerful message. Now, brothers and sisters, now that we understand a little bit this story of Jeremiah buying that field and why, we should ask the question, what is the message for us today? I can imagine that someone here as well, it's interesting, perhaps from a historical perspective, um, but what should I learn from this? Is this a lesson about how to invest in real estate market? Or is it a lesson about how to use your retirement savings? Probably not. So why is it in the Bible? Why did the Lord record this in the book of Jeremiah? So, there are three lessons actually that we can draw from this passage. First of all, we discover the first aspect when we consider that Jeremiah was called upon to act as a servant of the Lord and that Jeremiah was expected to make a sacrifice for the sake of the Lord and his people. As I already explained earlier, 17 shekels of silver, it's not nothing, it's about $100,000 in today's value. That's a real sacrifice if you have to buy something that doesn't give you any value at the moment. Basically, Jeremiah was asked to give up at least part of his retirement savings. I don't know how much he had, 
but 17 shekels was a lot. And it's really interesting if we didn't read the whole chapter, but one of the beautiful aspects of the story is that Jeremiah, after he had bought this field, he went home and he started thinking and he had what people call buyer's remorse. You know that term? You buy a house or you buy something and then after you bought it, you think, huh, I wonder, what did I do? Why in the world did I buy this? Jeremiah had something like that. We know it from the rest of the chapter, which we didn't have time to read. After the deal was done, Jeremiah went back into his prison cell, or maybe he stayed in his prison cell, and then he prayed. You can read it later at home. He prayed this, Lord, what does this mean? You have told me that the city is going to fall, to be destroyed, that the people are going to be taken into exile, and now you really wanted me to buy this field? He believed it, and he did it, but it's like it didn't make sense to him. And the other beautiful thing is that the Lord gives an answer to him. You can read it also in chapter 32. Um, Well, let's just read it together. The very end of the chapter, it's the Lord's answer. Verse 42 and following. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring on them all the good that I have promised them. And fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolate without man or beast. It has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them, and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, and in the cities of the south. For I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. So if you think this through, brothers and sisters, we see that Jeremiah was asked to make a sacrifice, give up his retirement money for, as a message to the people around, but also for the benefit of his, his nephews and nieces. He didn't have children himself, but for his, his, his nephews and nieces. Because according to the Lord's promise, they would come back to the promised land after 70 years to take possession of the land again. As the Lord said, fields will be sold again. There will be vineyards and houses built. So Jeremiah had to make that sacrifice in order that the children of his brothers and sisters, after so many years, would be able to come back to the promised land and be very thankful that Uncle Jeremiah had 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 the faith to buy this field for them. When you think of this, doesn't it remind you of the sacrifice of the greater servant of the Lord, our our kinsman redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ? I'm thinking of that text in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, where the Apostle Paul writes, Though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Jeremiah was asked to give up his retirement savings. Jesus Christ was expected to 
pay a much higher price. He was asked to give up his life as a ransom for many. And that's the first thing we, we are reminded of in our text. The servant of the Lord is asked to make a sacrifice. And it points to the greater sacrifice of Jesus Christ for you and me, and it should drive us to praise him. Worthy is the Lamb to receive honor and glory. The second aspect of the story is that Jeremiah's purchase was a great investment indeed. It might seem like a crazy deal, but it was a great investment. As I mentioned, after 60, 70 years, Jeremiah's nephews and nieces were going to come back to the promised land. And when they came back, there was a field for them. There was the deed. The paperwork was there. Uncle Jeremiah had bought the field. Uncle Jeremiah was passed away already. But since it was their inheritance, they had a field waiting for them, a place that they could call their own, where they could build houses and plant vineyards. And you can just imagine the conversations. I'm so thankful that Uncle Jeremiah bought this field for us. It must have seemed to be a dumb deal at the time, but man, that was just a great investment. And once again, brothers and sisters, this points us to the, to the greater servant of the Lord, our Messiah, our, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and consider what his purchase man, means for us. In a way, he was like Jeremiah. He did not have children. He was not married. And yet, as we read in Hebrews 2, he brought many sons to glory. He brought many sons to glory. The prophecy of Isaiah 8 is applied to him. Behold, I and the children God has given me. The Lord Jesus did not have children of his own, but the Bible says that God gave him children. That's us. Jesus Christ considers us to be his brothers and sisters. And what did he do for us? He bought us with his precious blood, as the Apostle Peter says, and he gave us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for us who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the last day. You can read that in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. So, see it like this. Just like Jeremiah's nephews and nieces were going to enjoy the fruits of his investment, so you and I will enjoy the fruits of the investment of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an inheritance kept in heaven for us. Isn't that something? But it is something that requires faith. It requires faith in God's promises. It requires the kind of faith that Abraham had. The Bible speaks about it. Abraham always remained a stranger in the promised land. He never really owned it yet. But he, he, kept, he kept the faith. He, he, he looked forward, it says, to the better country, the city with foundations, Hebrews 11. And may God, may the Lord help us 
as we live our lives in the 21st century to have the same kind of faith that they had, Abraham, Jeremiah. As we live in this world, living our lives, focusing on whatever we are called to do from day to day, still be heavenly minded, knowing that there is an inheritance waiting for us that Jesus Christ has bought for us. That's a wonderful thought. There's one more lesson. Third and final aspect. Knowing that Christ has purchased for us a dwelling place on the new earth, brothers and sisters, if you really believe that, that there is such a place waiting for you, it is going to have a big impact on how you live your life from day to day and how you invest, how you use your possessions, your money, and your time. If you really believe that an inheritance is waiting for you on the other side, that will influence how you look at what you do here and now. So the lesson for this afternoon is not that Jesus would say something like, if you want to follow me, you have to buy a field in Israel, for example. No, that's not what he says today to you. But he does say, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Matthew 6. And Christ doesn't tell each one of us, if you really want to follow me, you need to give away your retirement savings. That's not really the lesson. But Christ did say, make friends for yourselves by means of your money so that they may receive you in the eternal dwellings. Luke 16, if you want to check it out. So, today's message is not in the first place a lesson about how to invest your money or to buy fields or not to buy fields or properties or whatever. That's all interesting and important. But the point here is that we should learn to live in light of the fact that Christ our Lord has purchased an inheritance for us, for all those who believe in him. And if you do believe that, then your life will change. Then your investment strategy, so to speak, is going to change. Because some things that felt like it was sensible to do now feel like you're wasting your time or your money. And some other things that you thought, oh, that's, that's making a big sacrifice, now it feels like, oh, that's actually a great investment because I'm investment in the kingdom of God. Now this becomes really practical. And that's when it becomes also perhaps difficult sometimes. Let me mention a few examples. Consider your, our tithes and offerings that the Lord asks us to, to bring to the church to the deacons, whatever. The Lord asks us to support his church and kingdom in this world with our financial contributions, as we are able to do, some more, some less. And just like Jeremiah had to take money from his retirement savings to invest in the future of God's people, so we are called to give to the church of the Lord, to invest of the future of God's children, for example, when you give money to Christian education or to give to the poor. 
Now, if you don't believe that there is an inheritance waiting for you, it will feel like you are throwing money down the drain. But if you believe that there is such a place where you will be with Christ, you, it will feel like this is money really well spent. You won't feel like you lost something. You will feel happy that you're allowed to invest in God's kingdom. But it, it takes faith to be able to think like that. It doesn't come natural to us. Or take the way we use our time and our opportunities. How much time we spend as Christians. On Sundays we go to church two times even if, if we can. During the week there is something, there is uh, maybe a small group or a Bible study meeting. And then we have our private devotions and our family devotions. From a worldly perspective that is just strange. Why would you spend all your time reading the Bible, praying, getting together with other Christians? The world would say you're stupid if you do that. But Jesus says, when you do these things, you are laying up treasures for yourself in heaven. Consider the activities, our tasks that we engage in as believers. We spend time visiting the sick, maybe. Or you spend time visiting old people in the nursing home. You don't earn money by doing that. You could use that time maybe to earn money. Still you do it. Or you visit someone who's lonely. Think of the, the time that elders spend doing home visits, meeting together as consistory, as council, checking in with God's people, helping the minister, encouraging here, admonishing there. Think of the work of the deacons, trying to help the poor, thinking of ways and means to help those who are lonely and suffering. The world again would say, that's just a waste of time. You could use all that time and make a lot of money for yourself. But from the perspective of faith, we are making a great investment that has abiding value. So that's the third aspect of the message, brothers and sisters. As we follow Jesus Christ, our Lord, we are called to adopt a greater vision for investment. Not a vision that doesn't go any further than this life. A greater vision that includes the kingdom of God and the inheritance that our Lord Jesus Christ has purchased for us. As I said, it doesn't come natural to any one of us. But if we hear the word of God and if we trust God's promises, then it is a wonderful vision to have. So, as you go from here, if you go home, take some time to consider Jeremiah's deal. And then consider the investment of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Do you trust that he made a good investment? I hope so. Because just like Jeremiah's purchase turned out to be a great investment, so our investment, our investments in the kingdom of God will turn out to be great investments as well. That's God's promise. Amen.